it's dividing Palestinian civil society and, and enhancing the fragmentation that Israel has already been uh, very constructive and very instrumental in creating. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. And welcome back to the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman with my co-host Asa Wynn-Stanley. Asa, how are you? I'm good, yeah. How's things in California? I mean, good. lockdown. We still supposedly have a lockdown <laughs> here, but it's really yep. not. And everything's kind of chaotic and we don't know whether we're coming or going. We don't yep. know what we're supposed to be doing. And it's all confusing and fearful. Same. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I could say exactly the same thing about here in the States. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we press on and we are uh, really proud of uh, of this episode coming up. We sat down with Lubna Shomali at Badil Research Center for Refugee and Residency Rights um, in Bethlehem. She wrote a phenomenal op-ed for us uh, at the beginning of July called Why Palestinian Rights Groups Reject EU Funding Conditions. And it's really a, an in-depth look at the way that the European Union in particular, but also the US and Israel, of course, uh, put conditions on funding for non-governmental organizations in Palestine. Um, and the way that that funding is used to shape um, or destroy certain political parties in Palestine and also to make sure that Palestinian resistance is quelled. Um, so yeah, it, and, and to impose yeah. conditions on Palestinian civil society organizations. Exactly. I found yeah. what she said, uh, she, she has a, you'll hear in the interview, she has uh, a line about how the EU is essentially trying to impose on Palestinian organizations in the West Bank like 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 hers Badil and and many others as a condition of its aid trying to force them to become police and really kind of intelligence yeah. services on their own population to police right. their own population um, right. for supposed terrorism um, right. with no defined borders of what terrorism actually is so it's right. uh, it's really uh, uh, a reminder and an illustration that the EU in its really dishonest relationship with, with Palestine, with Palestinian organizations, um, is no better than the the US. Right. No, and the, the conditions from the US on Palestine, you know, at least for the, the last, you know, 15, 20 years, uh, especially coming from USAID, has has really uh, affected the Palestinian economy and Palestinian, you know, human rights groups uh, significantly. And so Lubna, you know, looks at the way that USAID has stifled uh, growth of the Palestinian liberation movement um, and yeah. and how it's uh, it's a really bad sign that the EU is jumping on board as well with this kind of conditional funding requirements. Yeah, I, I know you spent a lot of time in Bethlehem over the years, Nora. Yeah, um, yeah. Where where Badil is based is this? Yeah. Um, are they an organization that you used to encounter very often? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a couple of friends that worked for Badil for a long time. Um, Badil is a center in in Bethlehem for um, community organizing, for not just research um, of the Palestinian refugee crisis, but of resources for refugees and internally displaced peoples. So it's a, it's a it's a phenomenal organization, and I actually met Lubna in person last year when I was in Palestine, um, and nice. uh, it was really great to to reconnect with her. So, without further further ado, let's go to that interview with Lubna Shomali from Badil. Great. We're delighted to be joined by Lubna Shomali, Advocacy Manager with Badil Resource Center for Palestinian Residency and Refugee Rights, a fantastic advocacy organization located in Bethlehem. Lubna recently wrote a piece for the Electronic Intifada explaining why Badil had refused a nearly $2 million grant from the European Union. And she's here to talk about why the organization refused the aid. Lubna, thank you so much for being with us today on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. So first off, tell us a little bit about the important work that Badil does for our listeners who may not be aware. Um, well, Badil Resource Center for Palestinian Residency and Refugee Rights is a Palestinian human rights organization. As you indicated, we are based in Bethlehem. Um, we were founded in 1998, which coincidentally is five years after Oslo, uh, for the simple fact that the Palestinian refugee um, and IDP or internally displaced uh, community was very dissatisfied with Oslo at that time. Mm -hmm. And so at their behest, they requested that an organization be formed to promote and defend their rights. And so our main purpose uh, as a hu Palestinian human rights organization is to promote and defend the rights of um, the Palestinian people in general, but mostly um, those that have been displaced. Um, in order to do that work, we have a number of different programs. Um, we do a lot of uh, legal-based and evidence-based research that we publish. We're quite a prolific uh, organization. Mm -hmm. uh, we use that research for advocacy purposes, both with the international community and um, uh, people in charge, decision makers, and so on and so forth. Um, to that end, we have what is called special consultative status with the UN, so we're able to advocate with the UN on many levels. We also use it as a platform for advocacy within our own communities wow. and within our own uh, leadership. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we also have a number of programs to enhance the resilience of Palestinian civil society in order to... to um, in order to deter the ongoing displacement. Mm -hmm. uh, so trying to prevent situations of, of contemporary displacement. And with all of this work, um, you have all these programs that you mentioned, um, and you applied for a grant from the European Union. Um, the EU had insisted that in order to receive this grant, Badil had to sign a document deeming seven Palestinian political organizations as terrorist organizations, a condition that Badil refused. And while this conditional funding is a fairly new stipulation adopted by the EU, the U.S. government has enforced these conditions for decades, um, especially after the Oslo process. 
Uh, can you bring us up to date in the context of the piece you wrote for the Electronic Intifada and, and why you refused this funding and, and, you know, what really is the significance of doing so politically uh, for the authenticity of what Badil's core mission is? Mm-hmm. Well, the um, there are a number of different programs that the EU um, uh, provides to the Palest- to Palestinian organization in terms of uh, projects that they could get funding for. The program that we applied for was the East Jerusalem program, which is based here in in uh, Palestine. And the mm-hmm. project that we applied for was um, enhancing um, the resilience of the Palestinian people, particularly in Jerusalem, with a focus on Jerusalem because of the um, exceptional or rather particular, let's say, situation of Jerusalem uh, within the context of Palestine, and also enhancing international mobilization uh, for uh, or international solidarity for Palestinian rights, so Mm -hmm. enhancing awareness and um, networking and partnering with international civil society groups and social justice movements to work towards a common cause, which is, of course, um, the the acceptance or the ability to exercise basic rights. Um, The project uh, received uh, pretty much, I mean, we were in the end phases, of course, so all that was left was to actually sign the contracts. Uh, During this whole period, uh, we were in conversations with the... um, uh, with the head of these, the head of this particular program, and others within the European Union who are associated with this particular uh, issue, to get those clauses changed, mm-hmm. uh, because they actually came into effect in July of uh, 2019. Um, so we were we were in these um, debates or in these conversations with the European Union. Of course, the the pandemic hit, and so most of these conversations were happening via email or online, and so on and so forth. But really, to no avail. The European Union was um, and its representatives were pretty much saying that there was no way we were going to change this. They wouldn't listen to any of the um, arguments or the justifications that we put forth why this is unacceptable. And so it finally came to a head um, early in June, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, We received the letter that finally, when we told them that, no, we object to this clause, they said, no, your project is no longer valid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So... The reason that we don't accept these these clauses is because they're 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 imposing um, the European um, understanding of what is terrorism on a population that is under occupation and colonial oppression, mm-hmm. um, and they are taking and saying that these political parties that have that are resistance part that are resistance movements or resistance political parties are um, terrorist organizations. They can set the criteria they want to it, to say the European Union can set the criteria that they want and say that this is a terrorist organization uh, or this is a terrorist act, but they cannot impose this criteria on another population, particularly a population that is under colonial denom- domination and oppression. Uh, the way Palestine is. It completely ignores the legal and historic context of Palestine and the inalienable rights of the Palestinian people as enshrined by international law. Um, That is one of the issues. The other issue is that within the, the clause, 
it um, links to the EU restrictive measures. And the restrictive measures have policies or, or procedures within them that say that we actually have to screen our people. We have to screen from the board of directors of our organization to the management to the staff, to the suppliers, to the partners, to the beneficiaries. Mm. So everyone that could potentially be involved in the project has to be screened against the lists, which means that we are playing, we are essentially becoming a security apparatus for the European Union. Right, right. You know, which is, which is completely unacceptable. First of all, we can't police our own people. This is, this is one thing. We are civil society. It's not our responsibility. It's state responsibility. Um, second, Palestinian civil society is politicized. I mean, because of the context that we find ourselves in, because we are in a political context in which we have been occupied, we have been colonized, and we are faced with apartheid practices and policies. So everyone is somehow politicized. Everyone, if not directly involved in a certain political party, is associated with a certain political party or another. And that's just a fact, whether it's true or not. Whether we are actively engaged is a complete other matter. But, you know, so, so basically what it's, it's, it's dividing Palestinian civil society and, and enhancing the fragmentation that Israel has already been uh, very constructive and very instrumental in creating. Right. So. Right. And those conditions are not put on con- military aid contracts, for example, with Israel, uh, either by the U.S. or the EU. I mean, that's there's no it seems like there are no conditions at all <laughs> with how Israel spends its money. And even when there are conditions, they're not adhered to. Exactly. So if you take a look, for example, at the EU-Israeli uh, Trade Association agreement, there are certainly conditions within that agreement imposed upon Israel for how they should behave as a state in order to be able to engage with the EU and its member states in trade and economy. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing, There's they're not holding up these, these, uh, these conditions or these criteria with Israel. That's, right. that's definitely true. Right. Um, as for the situation with terrorism specifically, there is no internationally accepted definition of terrorism, which kind of means that it's a free-for-all. Mm-hmm. So people can set the definitions that they want and critique certain groups based on their own criteria. Um, if we look at even the UN, they don't define terrorism, but rather they define what is a terrorist act and not exactly the actual terrorism as, as a theory or a concept. Uh, and you can judge terrorist acts using the criteria defined by, by the UN. Uh, but then you would need a court to prosecute and essentially prove that this group or this individual actually committed a terrorist act. Right. So who are we to be judge and jury? Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Who is the EU to be judge and jury and then be judge and jury and impose this decision on another people? Let's talk a little bit about the effects that this kind of conditional funding has had already on human rights groups inside Palestine um, and, and civil rights groups, even infrastructure organizations in Palestine. We see groups mm-hmm. like USAID, for example, who has tied the hands of Palestinian groups. Uh, they've forbidden them to support political parties that the U.S. doesn't like. 
Um, explain a little about the funding landscape here and how conditional funds have been used to suppress political autonomy, really. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'd first like to mention here that it should be known that a Palestinian organization that pl- claims to be a non-governmental organization is prevented by Palestinian law to support any political party. Mm-hmm. So the imposition of a, of, a, of a clause like the EU clause or even the, the procedures or the, the um, anti-terrorism uh, commitment that the that USAID put into place, you know, I believe in, in 10 years back or in 2000 and I can't remember exactly when. Um, Those are unnecessary because we are actually prohibited by law as a a charitable non-government organization to support any political party, regardless of whether they are um, quote unquote allegedly terrorist or not terrorist. Um, It has created a significant amount of of, uh, fragmentation among Palestinian civil society. There is a camp in Palestine or a group uh, of uh, Palestinian civil society organizations that feel that what the EU doing is okay um, and we need to accept it uh, and we need to go with it. Um, they, uh, there are a handful of organizations that have signed on to the EU grants, the new ones with the clause uh, that is involved. Um, and there is the the uh, the other side of the spectrum, which you know has the same position as Badil, um, that uh, is rejecting this. Um, from that perspective, there is a Palestinian national campaign uh, to reject politically conditional funding, and um, it has garnered over 230 Palestinian uh, organizations and grassroots movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the definite uh, majority of Palestinian civil society I would say is in the the rejecting camp, uh, the camp that is refusing to to engage with the EU under such conditions. Um, this particular camp is also refusing to engage with organizations who have signed on with the EU. So these organizations that do have EU funded projects and are attempting to do whatever kind of work they are attempting to do uh, with Palestinian civil society, which may essentially be good work. Not saying that it's not, yeah. but because it's being funded under these circumstances, Palestinians um, Palestinians themselves are refusing to work with these with these organizations, mm-hmm. um, and so it's definitely created a rift, um, a significant rift uh, within Palestinian civil society. Mm-hmm. I would also say that it's created a significant rift with the Palestinian solidarity movement as well because we have been working on trying to mobilize international civil society around this issue. And we are speaking to organizations who are, let's say, supporting either one or the other camp. So there's definitely something there as well. And there's lots of conversations going on with international civil society on, on how can we support this and, and what should, should we be doing. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's varying opinions there as well. So if you've got a fragmented um, Palestinian civil society, and now you've also fragmented the international solidarity movement. You've kind of, you know, right. <laughs> done a lot. You've done a lot of damage. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of damage that has been done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, talk a little bit more about the national campaign to reject conditional funding. Um, mm-hmm. When, 
when you approach organizations that, you know, are on the fence or have taken, you know, conditional funds in the past, but, you know, now they, they realize that their hands are being tied. Um, how do you support, like, you know, what happens to these smaller uh, groups when um, they are not willing to accept the conditions that come along with these grants that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that sustain the organization, that pay people's salaries, that, um, you mm-hmm. know, that fund really essential projects. Yeah, yeah. Take us through that. Well, it should be noted that the EU process, regardless of which program it is, um, the EU process to get funding is highly bureaucratic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's at a level of administrative and financial capacity capacity that the vast majority of Palestinian organizations does not have, particularly if you are talking talking about community based organizations or really small organizations and grassroots movements and so on and so forth. So there's already an additional handicap um, in terms of actually being able or having the agency to be able, the institutional agency to be able to apply for a project. Mm-hmm. So when Badil has applied for a project, we've usually tried to apply and include CBO partners with who are doing fantastic work, but like I said, just don't have the institutional agency to be able to manage um, an EU-funded project. Um, now, incident- incidentally, Badil has only once received funding from the EU in the past. And that was when we were actually an associate organization and not the lead organization. Um, And it was, and and the lead organization was actually an international, uh, it was an an INGO partner, an international non-government organization partner. Um, So we have never actually directly received funds from the EU to date. This would have been this project that we were, that was deemed invalid. This would have been our first actual project with the EU um, that we were the lead organization and we and we had um, uh, two partner organizations with us. Um, so we would have been the ones responsible to sign the clause. Yeah. It would have been Badil's name or Badil's represent representative people that would be be that would be signing it. Mm. Um, It would have meant for us in particular, it would have doubled our annual budget for the next three years. So it would have meant it would have meant financial stability for the organization for the next three years. Um, And the funding climate in Palestine is already deteriorated. So there's a reduction of funds. There's been a shift of funds from the human rights sector to, for example, the development sector, the humanitarian aid and assistance sector. Um, There's been a shift of funds to handle other crises around the world, like, for example, the the Syrian uh, war and the influx of refugees into Europe. Uh, So the situation is already dire. And Badil is an organization that is surviving year to year. So we're putting together, as we go along, enough funds somehow managing to go from year to year. So we don't have that long-term financial um, stability. Add that to the fact that, you know, um, without the funds, you can't implement the projects. I mean, there are certain things that you are just not able to do. Um, and there are certain um, initiatives or certain projects that are that are much needed uh, that aren't funded uh, by the donors. 
and so it creates a very a very um, insecure financial situation for the organization. It also deprives the Palestinian people of much needed uh, support and initiatives. Um, it reduces our ability to be able to advocate because you need because advocacy is something, for example, that you can't show, for example, um, a structure that you've built or you can't. You know, you can't measure advocacy and it's a long term commitment. So you need human resources and to have human resources, you need to pay people. And so right. to pay people, you need money. So it really does um, uh, really does silence us. It silences Palestinian civil society more than anything and doesn't allow us to be able to do that work where we need to be, for example, at the U.N. or we need to be advocating abroad or we need to be, you know, writing a certain research or, or that sort of thing. Yeah. So it, it's quite a hindrance. It's mm. quite a hindrance. Well, before uh, I let you go, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, the current atmosphere in Palestine, uh, especially around the occupied West Bank where, where you live. It's a time of deepening apartheid and settler colonialism with Netanyahu's annexation plans, um, you know, set to expel more and more Palestinians. Uh, and then, of course, we have the coronavirus pandemic sweeping across Palestine. Mm -hmm. um, what is what is life like on the ground in in Bethlehem right now? Oh, it's it's hard to describe. Um, people are are kind of we're kind of at a, a at a sit a wait and see kind of attitude. People want to to engage and people want to be active. But I think the, the, the situation with the pandemic is, is holding them back. Um, there's, of course, a lot of other circumstances as well. Um, people are very disheartened by the result of the Oslo Accords, uh, very disappointed that it didn't lead to the so-called peace uh, that people were hoping that it would lead to. They're very disheartened by the, the lack of engagement, the proper engagement by the international community, particularly to bring Israel into account uh, with its into account with, for its human rights violations and crimes. And, and this issue with the EU conditional funding, I mean, somebody might look at it and think, oh, well, it's just money. But no, it reflects the EU position and its changing position on Palestine, where the EU had pretty had, to a certain extent, been at least the voice of reason to a certain extent, and actually being vocal about its support for Palestinian rights, we are now seeing a shift. Not only have they become less vocal on this issue, not only have they tweaked their language, and it's not as strong as it has been on Palestinian rights, now they're bringing in this condition, which is like a slap in the face and saying, okay, we're no longer going to put our money where our mouth is. And now our mouth is saying a different thing. So I think there's a, a significant amount of um, uh, um, disappointment and um, uh, disillusionment with international civil society and the EU in particular, because historically, whether or not, whether it is or not the case, and this is another conversation that we could have at a later time, historically the EU has been supportive of, of Palestinian rights, at least um, at the verbal level. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. And that's something that's changing significantly. Well, thank you so much um, for your work. We'll link to your piece entitled Why Palestinian Rights Groups Reject EU Funding Conditions and Badil's website as well, so people can learn more about the work that you do. Uh, We'll put that on the Electronic Intifada podcast uh, blog post that accompanies this. Lubna Shomali, thank you so much again, um, and and thank you for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Well, thank you, Nora. And that's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks to Sharif Zakut, our music maker and production assistant. For news, information, cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support the Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening. <laughs>